Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at either 8.30 or 11 o'clock a.m. at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. And now, may you be blessed as we give our attention to the reading of God's Word. Stand for the reading of Scripture. Today's Scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 13, 6 through 9. Then Jesus told this story. A man planted a fig tree in his garden and came again and again to see if there was any fruit on it. But he was always disappointed. Finally, he said to his gardener, I've waited three years and there hasn't been a, been a single fig. Cut it down. It's just taken up space in the garden. The gardener answered, sir, give it one more chance. Leave it another year and I'll give a special attention to it and plenty of fertilizer. If it gets fixed next year, fine. If not, then you can cut it down. This is the word of God for the people of God. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we still ourselves. We quiet ourselves to receive from you. That's really what matters this morning, nothing else. That we get to spend time with you. We get to give um, our hearts and our offerings and our love to you. No matter uh, what it is, we want to give it to you. And we know that in giving to you, Lord, we receive. So we want to receive a touch from you. I want to receive um, an awareness of your presence in a way that changes things. So Lord, uh, come and, and continue to move in this place, particularly now. Speak to us as we come to your table, as we take bread, as we take cup. Remind us that this isn't just some silly little ritual we do in a church once a month. It is an act of grace. It's a, a means of grace in which we encounter you. So Lord, come and let us encounter you. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus and all who agreed with it said. Amen. I was told recently by a pastor, I said, you know, Jim, when you get to this point in transition and moving, you become what we call a lame duck. And your words don't really matter anymore. We're just kind of thinking about what's happened and what's coming, and we don't think. And, and uh, I don't like that. I think that's dumb. <laughs> um, I reject that. And I hope you'll reject it with me this morning. I hope you reject it with me because of a couple things. One, today's Ascension Sunday, and that matters. It matters a whole lot. It matters a lot. Uh, I grew up in a church where the Ascension Sunday didn't really do much for us. Um, Easter, yay, Pentecost, maybe. Ascension, not hardly at all. And I've found as I get older and as I study more and as I spend more time in Scripture and in the church's story that Ascension Sunday is vital. So don't tune out. 
I hope you also not tune out knowing full well that um, as you get to this point in this stage in, in your transition as a pastor, you start to realize things, things that you want to say to your community, things that you know you failed, things that you know you wanted to do differently and wanted to do better. Um, and I hope you'll forgive those things where I have not done those pieces, uh, and I hope that we'll listen anyway. Because again, I believe that there's something in this weird passage that Elizabeth read a little bit ago that's important for us. Uh, it's important for us as, as a church community here, but it's important for us as, as Christians in these United States in 2019. Because if you haven't yet noticed, um, there's something changing in our culture. Church and society in general isn't the way it was when we were kids, right? It's very, very different. And there's a thousand things that are pulling us and challenging us, and yet I keep coming back to this liturgical calendar and to particularly this day of ascension that says, but there is something more than all this other stuff. So please, join me and let's not have a lame duck Sunday. Can we do that? Forty days after Jesus' resurrection, felt kind of like a normal, everyday, regular something. <laughs> normal, except for those followers of Jesus that they were now seeing and they were experiencing this dead, crucified carpenter teacher who'd been resurrected and had been appearing to these followers all over Israel. Um, after the resurrection, Jesus meets with his friends several times. At one point, he tells them, all right, we're in Jerusalem, go to Galilee. And they do, and we know what happens there. We see Simon Peter, who's been restored. We get this incredible passage from Matthew chapter 28 that we call the Great Commission. Go into the world, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But in the midst of that, he also says, now go back to Jerusalem and wait. Sit your little rear ends down and wait. I got something for you. That's Jim translation. But before we go back to Jerusalem with those disciples, there's something in Luke that we're told that I think is really important. Luke tells us that during these 40 days, Jesus is teaching his disciples. He's still got one more thing that he's got to tell them. Now, he's talking about the resurrection and what that all means, but he's also putting this inside of this, this, um, this thought bubble that says it's all about the kingdom of God. Now, is that a surprise to anybody? Not really, because since the very first time Jesus pops on the scene, the very first things that come out of his mouth is, the kingdom has come, the kingdom has come. John prepares the kingdom, and Jesus says the kingdom has come. It is common for Jesus' whole ministry. But after the resurrection, that kingdom has to be drilled into those disciples in a different way. He had sent out 12, he had sent out 70, go preach the kingdom. But now, in post-resurrection, the kingdom has to become the main focus for these followers. And so what does he do? He commissions them to these disciples, to this kingdom mantra. Go make disciples. Teach them everything. I've... It's very, very similar to the same mandate that had been given to the people of Israel throughout their history. Abraham. God calls them, your descendants will be what? A kingdom of priests. It's reiterated to Moses, to the judges, to King David, throughout the story of the prophets, kingdom of priests, kingdom of priests, kingdom of priests. It's who you're going to be. 
To be a kingdom of priests is to declare that where you are is where God's will is done. Isn't that cool? It's where to be a kingdom of priests is to declare that where you are, God is king. To be a kingdom of priests is to live in the kingdom of God. It's to live as if God is king right here, right now. That's ginormous. It's huge. Jesus is teaching this to them over and over again. And so he says, hey guys, go back to Jerusalem. 130 mile trip. Go for it. I know you don't have a Toyota Prius, but drive, walk it anyway. And they meet on the hillside of the Mount of Olives, and they're there, and Jesus comes to them, and they're getting ready to share, and the disciples come to him and says, all right, Jesus, you've been talking about the kingdom. It's coming. We get it. Is now the time that you're going to fulfill it? What are they asking for? Is now the time when the Sherman tanks roll up, we kick Rome out? Is now the time when we impose the will that you have been saying on everybody? Is this the moment? And don't you love what Jesus says? Well, it's not for me to tell you. The Father alone knows that time. But you will be my witnesses. What does Jesus do? Rather than giving them a calendar, which I think all of us really appreciate and love, don't we? I want to know where I'm supposed to go, how I'm supposed to be there. I want to know all of that stuff. Living in between is the worst. They want to know what to happen. Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to give you time. He gives them, instead of a calendar, he gives them an agenda. He gives them an agenda. And Jesus in this moment is taken up into the clouds. He ascends. And in their context, this would have been huge because in the Roman world, they believed that the, that the emperors, the Caesars, they ascended to the, to the right hand of Jupiter where they were now God and ruler over all the earth. Therefore, the one who was behind, they were the son of God. Augustus claimed this title for himself. Jesus to ascend to the throne of God is huge. It's sedition. It's rebellion. It's a problem. But it also says as he goes into this cloud, it brings back stories for those Jews that when, when Moses went into the, on the mountain, the glory of God descended like a cloud. This is a big, big moment. And in this thing, in this, as Jesus assumes the throne of heaven and of the cosmos, the world may be raging for control. But Jesus is saying, I am king. Even if the world doesn't know it, especially if the world rejects his truth, he is king. The disciples understand what is occurring around them, and they're going, woohoo, whoa. Because if Jesus is king, that means his kingdom is all around, and it means something's got to be different. It means that this kingdom of God and this new priesthood of believers is going to send us out to go and live like the king, like his glory is dripping all over the place. That means you and me. It's Jesus saying, Caesar may ascend, but I am king. So what does all of that have to do with this passage that was read, this weird fig tree kind of story? Why can't we just stay in the kingdom stuff? Well, we are. And that tree matters. Go back to last week when we talked about Susanna Wesley. One of her favorite statements was that there are two things to do about the gospel, about the good news. And I think Jesus is king is good news, right? She would say that there are two things to do. You believe it and you live it. I can rah-rah you up about the ascension all day long. I got enough sermons to do that until next Sunday. 
I can try and encourage you with all my heart to see that this act is more of just the disappearing act of Jesus, but it will not matter if we don't live it. The ascension is not just an act, it is to be lived out because it is an agenda set forth by the king for you and for me. Luke 13, Jesus is right in the middle of this large teaching. It is controversial. It is full of criticisms for the religious leaders and their hypocrisy. There is a teaching on on the love of money. Love that sermon, don't you? There's a teaching about fools who are resigned to the worship of of false gods all around them. Gods like um, materialism and selfishness and pride. Who says the gospel doesn't preach today? And what's he doing in all this teaching? He's warning them that as the kingdom comes, it's going to remove and it's going to challenge all of these selfish ambitions and these personal preferences that people have that followers are supposed to let go of. And Jesus offers in the midst of this a bit of an altar call, a come-to-Jesus moment, maybe. He says in the midst of this, he tells the story, you know, Pilate has just murdered a bunch of folks who are worshiping in the temple, something that Pilate would be known to do. And apparently during that time, there were folks who believed that because they were murdered in the temple, you know, God's living room, that there must have been some kind of sin that they had committed. And Jesus says, you know, not too long ago, a tower fell on some people over at Siloam, killing 18 people. We call that tragic accident. Back in their day, they said, God's judging us. Some things we've done wrong. And Jesus says in the midst of this, maybe it's not about sin. Maybe it's about something else. Well, what's it about? Well, the word that Jesus chooses to use right there is repentance. Repentance means turning. It's a change of direction. It's not just saying, I'm sorry. It's saying sorry and changing your pathway. It's changing your direction. Any of y'all, your mom or dad ever say, "Um, are you sorry you did it or are you sorry you got caught? Some of my Nana's favorites. Well, I'm sorry I got caught. I wouldn't be here if I didn't get caught. If we repent without changing an action, that's not repenting. That's just covering up our conscience. That's just trying to smooth it over. That's just we got caught. We don't want to be awkward. For Jesus, and all of this talk about the kingdom, his statements against religious leaders and all that's getting him trouble, this is all about inviting us to say, it's not just about I'm sorry for this behavior, it's about changing some action in my life. And we get to this weird fig tree story thing. This fig tree is planted and it's cared for by a gardener. For three years, the owner comes and he's anticipating fruit. And for three years, what does the tree do? Nothing. The owner calls the gardener and he says, get this thing out. Rip it up. I'm done with it. It's taken up spot in my pretty garden. And the gardener begs, give me time. Give me one more year. Let me fertilize it. Let me give it some special TLC. A little attention, and we'll see if fruit comes. And if nothing, then then you can pull it up. What in the world is this story all about? Well, did you know, I I did a little research on fig trees. Do you know that it takes two years for a new tree to bear fruit for a fig tree? But if a fig tree that is mature is transplanted and it is healthy, it should take to its new location quickly and will bear fruit right away. 
of the story indicates that this is a mature, ready-to-bear-fruit tree that is transplanted. And so the owner indicates that I planted this tree and I'm expecting something right away. But after three years, what happens? Nothing. No fruit. Did you also know that a fig tree, when it's in bloom, it produces an incredible aroma, an incredible scent that just fills an area up. It's not doing that either. I used to think that the gardener was the hero of Jesus' story. Oh, give it one more chance. The owner's the bad guy. He wants to rip it up. He's a tyrant. I'm not so sure anymore, at least not from the context. See, the gardener has all kinds of excuses. He has all kinds of, wants to offer special attention. According to fig tree experts, this is silly. Do you know that fig trees don't need fertilizer? Especially in Israel? They are a growing and producing tree, and the tree's failure to produce is a problem. See, it's almost as if Jesus is saying that this tree has been given an opportunity, a huge opportunity, and it's not living up to its purpose and to its gift of life. You tracking with me? In the context of the passage, I'm beginning to think that Jesus wanted us to see something about the nature of kingdom work. The kingdom, uh, like a tree, is to produce fruit, not just sit somewhere and look pretty. See, when we are given a gift, we are to bear fruit. We're to do something with it. The owner gives time, more than what was necessary for that tree to bear fruit. He gave it one year. That's nice. But then two, then three. Over and over, grace, do what you're called to do, tree. And the gardener comes in. The owner, I'm ready, done, move on. The gardener, no, give me one more opportunity. Let me ask for more resources, for more time. Something else is needed for this tree to do what it's made to do. So I, I'm wondering and I'm thinking as I read through the story, maybe we've read this the wrong way. Brothers and sisters, 20 years ago, 20 plus years ago, there was a seed that was planted in a piece of land right here. Twelve years ago, a new community was formed, and that seed began to grow. Some of you have been here, all 12 of them. Three years ago, we entered into a transition time, and this tree was called forth to grow and expand. And we've done that very literally. We've been given a huge gift, and yes, it has been costly, and yes, a new season of transition is upon us, but that is no excuse to stop bearing fruit. We have, we have had way too much to deal with this last year particularly, haven't we? Building, pastoral change, general conference, all of it has dumped this uncertainty in our lap. And some of us are really bent out on one of those things. All of it has left uncertainty in our lap. And none of it is a reason to stop bearing fruit. None of it is an excuse to hold up in our garden and forget our purpose. None of it is a failure of the king or a stopping in the king's agenda. None of it. The ascension of Jesus is not just, he's gone. 
It's just the opposite. The ascension of Jesus says that he is fully and completely present and aware with each and every one of us. The ascension of Jesus means that his kingdom, the thing that we pray for, we did just a little bit ago, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in where? Heaven. Um, when we pray that, we're praying that that's active, that it's happening around us. It means he's on the throne no matter what uncertainty we may feel or the angst or the confusion of our broken society or broken church. It means his agenda remains the same. The ascension of Jesus, ascension of Jesus is his way of saying, I'm in charge and I want all that is mine back. All that's been taken away, I want it back. So disciples, witnesses, get up and go. Enter into the chaos and drip my kingdom everywhere you are. Take back, inch by inch if necessary, what belongs to my Father. Bear fruit, don't waste a second. I'm with you always. Live like it. Live like I'm the king. And let that reality change everything, from making a cup of coffee to how you purchase your groceries. Let the power of the Spirit soak into you so much that you can stare down sin and brokenness and injustice and go, nope, Jesus is king. So here's the thing. If this is what the ascension is, if this tree story is what's going on, how many of us are just a fig tree in a garden waiting for something better to come along? How many hear these words of King Jesus and think, oh, that's nice. What's next? The what next is now. And it means don't just say you've heard, but go and do. Three years. Someone asked me earlier, they said, Jim, are, are, are you starting to, uh, to, to, to have withdrawals from, from getting ready to leave and all that kind of stuff? No, I'm upset. I'm frustrated. I don't want to leave you all. I love you all. I loved our time. Is it, in, is it frustrating that we're anticipating another transition? Bet your sweet bippy it is. Frustrating for me, I know it's frustrating for you. But are you and I still called to bear fruit? That should be a resounding yes. Are we still, are we still called to drip the kingdom wherever we go? Are we still called to see um, uh, moments of brokenness in other people and step into it? Yes. Are we still called to work for the reconciliation and the wholeness of those people around us? Yes. Are we still to look out at this mission field that's all our way all around us that we have quite frankly to a degree neglected the last year and a half or so because we've been worried about a building? Yes. Are we still going to let us just let ourselves be holed up in this little garden making excuses and asking for more time and unneeded resources or are we going to bear fruit right where we are I, as i said earlier i know that i have failed in many moments in many ways as your pastor you know why because i'm human I've not done everything that i wanted and wish i could do i want to be able to see the fruit of what's going to happen here I'm going to have to see that from afar. But it's not an excuse to not be about the kingdom work. 
It's not an excuse to let a society that is struggling, that is hurting, that is broken, not be impacted by kingdom people who know that Jesus is on the throne and say, hey, we're going to go out and do it. We're going to live like it. We're going to drip that kingdom everywhere. It's not an excuse. So, beloved of God, hear my heart when I say, the ascension is real. What will you do with it? Will you live it or just go, hmm, nice job? Will you let it challenge and question those things that we hold dear to ourselves, those personal preferences, because the kingdom invites us to sacrifice it? Will we be a people that says, no, we're going to bear fruit? No excuses. No, no transitional whatevers. We're going to bear fruit. Do you know whose responsibility that is? By the way, it's not mine, and it's not Pastor Chad's, and it's not Elizabeth, our fellows. It's you all. I can say that. I'm outgoing church, Pastor. It's your responsibility. You look to a pastor, they're going to fail you. It's up to you to bear the fruit. We're going to come to the table this morning. We're going to remember this gift that Jesus has given us. This, this invitation to know that he is king once again. We're going to take bread and we're going to take cup and we're going to hear this is his body broken for you. This is his blood shed for you. My prayer for us this morning is that we will not just remember as some kind of thing that happened, but we will actually enact it. We'll start bearing fruit. Would you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, we thank you for this day and we thank you for the ways that you have... Um, You've moved this morning, and we ask that you would continue to do so. God, I pray that um, these words that you've given me to share this morning, that which is of you, you would root deep down into our hearts. That you would activate it, and that we would be a fruit-bearing kind of people no matter what's going on. That you would help us to take responsibility and not wait for some extra resources or extra whatever or whatever coming in the future that we would see and know you. So come, Jesus. Meet us here in this time and in this moment. As we are drawn to your table, let us experience your presence. We pray all of this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said.